0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We are talking about the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a lot of confusion around this idea or the person of the Holy Spirit. And so my desire today, as as you had a lot of questions about it, is that we're able to answer some of these questions. Now, I will say this. I'm not going to answer all the questions. I'm not going to cover everything. Um, But I just felt like I wanted to approach this from the place of giving context to what we know about the Holy Spirit and how all of this came about, especially the word Pentecost. And because many times when we hear the word Pentecost, we think of all kinds of, of different things, but it's really important on how we, how we approach this. And so um, I'm really excited to get in this today. You know, when Jesus was raised from the dead and he was alive, did you know that he walked the earth for 40 days before he ascended? Many times we hear about Jesus' Um, his resurrection from the dead, which is awesome, and we hear about his ascension. But something happened within those forty days that I want us to talk about today. That is connected directly to the Holy Spirit or the gift of the Holy Spirit that was given to us. And so, just so you know, after Jesus rose from the dead, he did walk around for for forty days, and the Bible says that he he gave some very convincing proofs. Acts one, chapter or actually. Chapter 1, verse 3, read this. It says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them. In other words, after he had risen from the dead and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now, this is kind of comical to me. What would be the one convincing proof that you're alive? You're alive. That's that's it. So, (laughs) he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So he took this 40 days and he walked with them and he talked with them and and uh, he uh, he had meals with them. On one instance, they were in a meeting and he like showed up and he was like, peace be with you. Why Why I know, probably why scripture says he says, peace be with you, is because they were freaking out. He wasn't there all of a sudden. Boom, Jesus is right there in the room. He didn't need doors. He didn't have to use doors because he's God in the flesh. So you can do whatever you want. So he just showed up to them. But these were these were convincing proofs. That he is alive. And so he began to teach them. He began to talk to them about what he has for this occasion. And so on one occasion, out of Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, he says this. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist, sorry, for John baptized with with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with. Everybody say this together: the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of. There's a lot of confusion around this whole thing of the Holy Spirit, sorry, not a thing, the whole person of the Holy Spirit and the whole movement of the Holy Spirit. So I want to try to explain to you in very simple terms today about this whole idea of Pentecost, how is Pentecost tied to the Holy Spirit? And it's very important we understand that that our Christianity actually is not separate from From the the Old Testament. It's actually one story from the beginning of the Garden of Eden all the way through the Revelations. It's God communicating to us a story, telling us His truths and the reality about who He is. And that goes along with the Holy Spirit. So in the Jewish culture, there were three major festivals that they celebrated. The first one was of Passover. It was the feast of Passover. Now, what this was is they were to remember the days when Israel, Israel at one point, was in bondage in Egypt. They were slaves. And so after a series of supernatural events, what they were instructed to do is, is they on a certain night they were supposed to take the blood of a lamb. And they were supposed to place that blood on the doorpost of their homes. And when a death angel came, he would pass over their home. That's why it's called Passover. And part of this and part of how they celebrate the Feast of Passover was they, they were to, to, uh, to sacrifice a lamb. They were to put a lamb in the oven. And they were to eat it. And so this would signify some things. And I'll tell you that in just a moment. But also part of the um, Jewish culture is they were not only were they to remember when God brought them out of slavery in Egypt... They were to remember the second one, which is the Feast of Pentecost. And this is what we're talking about today. Now, Pentecost comes 50 days after Passover. And do you know what Pentecost means? 50. That's it. There's no special. Let me tell you the Hebraic roots of Pentecost. It means Five-zero, okay? So Pentecost means five, Cost means to the 10th power, 50. So this is to come, this feast is to come 50 days after Passover. And the feast of Pentecost was for them to remember when God gave them the law at, on Mount Sinai. And I'm, I'm moving a little quicker through here. But then the third feast that, that they are to celebrate is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, Two of these have been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. One of them ha- is, not, is yet not to be fulfilled. The two that have been fulfilled, the Feast of Passover, and I'll talk to you about in just a second, and the Feast of Pentecost, which we'll talk about. That's been fulfilled. This third one, the Feast of Tabernacles, will be fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth and rules and reigns. Who fulfilled that? How many is excited for that one? That's a good one. It's going to be a fun one. But the Feast of Pentecost is to remind them And they're to remember it when they came out of Egypt and they came to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on a mountain. A cloud falls on the mountain. Noise of rumbling fire is shaking the mountain. All the children of Israel just left Egypt and they're in in the desert. And they're like, what's going on up there? Moses is the leader of the Israelites. God appointed him. And God writes the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. And Moses comes down with a new law, a new way of living. To help the children of Israel live their lives in a godly way. And remember, this, in God's saying this, I want you to remember this day, and I want you to call it Pentecost. So this is what they celebrate every day, 50 days after the Passover. And so this is the whole idea of what we're going to be looking at today. What what does Pentecost have to do with the Holy Spirit? And I think it's very important that that we understand that that all our faith is connected to something that's so much bigger than we are. It's connected to a story of God that he's been telling from the beginning of time about touching and saving and rescuing his people from, from sin, rescuing his people from death, rescuing his people from sickness, rescuing his people from all the struggles that we have that Jesus has made a way for us and Jesus has fulfilled these Old Testament festivals. Now, I know I'm moving quickly through this because I want to get into it, but the one question that I get a lot and maybe you do as well, maybe there's a lot of confusing confusion about it. They would say a lot of people would say, "How much of the Old Testament do we have to follow?" How much Should we be doing the, the Feast of Passover? Should we be doing the, Pente- the Feast of Pentecost? Should we be eating all the right food? Do we have to follow the laws? Do we have to cut our hair a certain way? Do we have to eat certain foods? Because if I have to give up bacon, I don't know, that could be a deal breaker for me. Everybody just said amen. I heard somebody say amen there in the back. <laughs> so the answer to that question is Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament. So we we don't do away with it because of its principles, because its principles remain in Christ Jesus. But we do, we don't have to practice it to the letter of the law, but we do hold on to the principles and the meaning of it still in our lives. And it's really important that I just make that point so that we can understand this, so you can have a further understanding of this whole idea of the Holy Spirit. When did the Holy Spirit come? How does that relate to us? A matter of fact, Jesus said this about the law in Matthew 5, 17. He said this, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but I came to fulfill. In other words, it is complete in Jesus Christ, And so I want to talk about how these first two were fulfilled. And so it, it's some of the characteristics are fascinating. The reason why I'm telling you this is because I want you to see the richness and the beauty of our faith. And I want to, I want to first talk about how Jesus fulfilled this first one, the Feast of Passover. And as I, as I studied this many years ago, this just ignited my heart. And so for, for Passover, what, what they would do to celebrate Passover is that early on a Friday, on Passover day, they would get a lamb. And they would slit the throat of a lamb at 9 a.m. And so this is what they would do. They would slit, they would sacrifice the lamb at 9 a.m. The second thing they would do is they would put the lamb into an oven at 3 p.m. Then they would gather and they would eat the lamb later in the afternoon. And so they would eat the lamb. And all of this was to symbolize the sacrificing of the lamb would cover their sins. Now notice the Old Testament, the the sacrificial sacrificial system was to cover sin, not remove sin. So it covered the sin. The sin still remained, but it covered it. The, The sin is still there, but it was covered by the blood. And so now... The sacrifice, the sacrifice, excuse me, covered their sins. So the question is, how did Jesus fulfill, in other words, complete what the, the feast of Passover represented? Let's look at this. Jesus, for, after all historical, as you look into this, Jesus was put on the cross on Passover at 9 a.m. The lamb was sacrificed, 9 a.m. At 3 p.m., Jesus was placed into the tomb. Now, the blood of Jesus did not just cover our sins. It removed our sins completely, and we no longer have the sin in us. He removed it. And this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he says this, For indeed, everyone say indeed. indeed. Indeed Christ our Passover, Jesus is our Passover, was sacrificed for us. In other words, Jesus fulfilled the feast of Passover. And so the feast that they celebrate, they were shadows that pointed to the real deal in Jesus Christ. Everything they did was pointing to the greater reality in Jesus. It was to to turn their hearts to, to the completion, to why they were doing that, to say one day, one day this is going to be completed. And everything pointed to Jesus. And so today we're going to look at the Feast of Pentecost. And so this is the second feast that they would celebrate. It's called the Feast of Pentecost, as I've already said. Now, this is a word that a lot of people try to avoid because when you hear Pentecost, you think of there's a denomination out there called Pentecostals. And we think it's, it's people who, they don't cut their hair, they don't wear makeup, they wear long, long dresses, long sleeves, and you know, I, I, that's what we get in our minds. And so you might be thinking, Jason, don't be bringing up the Pentecost thing. Listen, I just came to hear a good word about Jesus. I promise you, this is biblical and is in the Bible. And I want you to leave here with a fresh understanding of the goodness of God for your life. And that's really my heart for you. So when I was 22, this is really funny. Um, it was, you know, you learn a lot by doing things you probably shouldn't be doing. Anyone learn like I do? Okay, good. I was asked um, in Bible college to go down and speak at a uh, young adult's um, meeting at a catholic college it was called saint mary's and they asked me if i would come and speak on the holy spirit so i thought it'd be funny i'd go down there and i'd open up with a joke like often i do you know just to kind of lighten some things up and i said listen here's here's the reality the first thing about pentecost and the holy spirit is if you cannot understand it until you first handle a snake because that's what the bible says So I had a bag, and I acted like I was reaching in to take a snake out just to kind of crack the ice, and no one laughed at all. They were like. And I'm like, I'm just kidding, and they were like. They kept looking at my bag. I don't know if you're joking or not. But there's a lot of misconceptions about this whole idea of Holy Spirit or Pentecost. And so I really want us to understand this and and understand there's really no no. Hokey-pokey meaning behind the, the word Pentecost. It just means 50, which means 50 days after, after the Passover. They're to celebrate it. But it's amazing how afraid we become of this word in Scripture because um, really I think we become afraid of it because how it's packaged, how it's been packaged, how people have used it, how um, people have misinterpreted some things. and It scared people off. But here's the, here's the other reality. I believe the enemy has, has done that. It's been a strategy of the enemy to keep God's children away from experiencing the best things of God, which I believe is the power of the Holy Spirit. I really do. And, and Pentecost, is it's not defined by what some people say it is um, or by experiences. It's defined by what the Bible says it is. I really want you to hear that if you can. We must be careful that we don't define what what a word by an experience. We allow the word of God to define our experience, and that is the filter is the word of God. And I think if we'll do that, we're going to be all right. We're going to make it in, in all, those, all those different things like this. So um, the feast was to remember, and I've already said this, but I just want to remind you before we get into when God gave the law on Mount Sinai. And there's, there's some other completion. So how was this completed? And on that day, you can read in the book that when Moses went up, he went to uh, Mount Sinai. He went up. A cloud descended with a loud noise and fire. Now, all of us who have seen the Ten Commandments around Easter, we, we remember this. Charlton Heston, right? He was up there and it was shaking. Yeah, yeah, I got that. So, someone was really excited about that. Yes, good. Amen. Amen. You, you must like Charlton Heston. Okay, you got a thing for it. Anyway. So, a cloud descended on top of Mount Sinai with this loud noise and fire. As you read in Exodus, you can see this. And While Moses is there, God begins to write the law, God's law, on tablets of stone. Then Moses comes down. The people were impatient because they thought, man, Moses is dead. He went up there, there there's all this rain. He got struck by lightning, probably. And they they thought, but we need a God. And so they made their own God. Moses comes down. God is angry. He's like, "What what were you doing? And then 3,000 people died that day because of their rebellion and God's judgment towards them. But also on that day, God established the nation of Israel that day. He established them. He gave them laws. He gave them parameters. And he he gave them a government, biblical government to live by. So, So here's the question. How is this fulfilled through Jesus Christ? So the day of Pentecost comes, and Jesus told them, I want you to wait. They go in the upper room. They're they're waiting for, for the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden in the upper room, what happens? The Holy Spirit descended with a loud sound and fire. You guys remember this? Remember the book in Acts chapter 2, you can read it. This is what took place. And instead of God writing the law on tablets, it says that on that day, He wrote His law on their hearts. This is cool. It just gets, it's just cooler. And then, if you remember, if you remember, on at Mount Sinai, people rebelled. God's judgment fell on them, and 3,000 people died. Well, just so you know, on the day of Pentecost, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes to the southern steps of the temple. He preaches the gospel, and guess what? 3,000 people get saved. That's pretty cool. And it's on this day that God, Jesus, establishes their church on this day. God established this church. So this is how this was fulfilled. This is why it's important for you to understand this understanding of the Holy Spirit and how it, it it wants to work. And so the meaning and power of that day is wrapped up in all these things that we just looked at. And so on Acts chapter two, one verses one through four it says this when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. This is what Jesus said to do. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared on them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, not on a mountain, but now the fire sat on them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Everybody say, "Amen to that." Amen. So now at this point, everybody is confused about, about like, what, what is, what's going on? How did Jesus fulfill? I, what's, what's happening? Um, and most people, a lot of people have been trained, even in, in colleges, Bible colleges, to avoid this thing of the Holy Spirit. They've actually come to conclusions that they have come to, to resolutions that say the opposite of what Scripture says. They say that the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit were only for a particular period and time for the establishment of the church, and they're no longer to be used today. But I, that's just not Biblical. I I can't, there is nothing in Scripture that says that. They've come to these conclusions because they don't, because they cannot understand, they're trying to filter the Holy Spirit through their own experiences and experiences versus allowing the Word of God to show them the experiences that God wants for them. And so as they move through here, people say, well, the Holy Spirit, that's, and some people even said the gifts of the Spirit are of the devil, which is just not true. It's just not true. Because we see them in an operation in the New Testament church. So I just want us to understand that the Holy Spirit first and foremost is something beautiful, something powerful, and and He is not weird whatsoever. And so God wants the Feast of Pentecost or the awareness of the Holy Spirit in every one of you. And He wants us to know that it is available to us for us to grow in and for us to lean into. And so... Just also, just something so you know. So can we go to heaven without this understanding of the Holy Spirit? Here's the answer. Yes. You get to heaven by the blood of Jesus and nothing else. Okay, nothing else. By his grace, not by your own works. But on the day of Pentecost, there are a lot of people that they didn't understand it either. They, they saw these people. They were, they were making fun of them. They were mocking them. And Peter got up and he said, he goes, listen, man, these people aren't, they're not weirdos. They're not whacked out. They're not drunk as you suppose. And Acts 2.12, he says this, that many people were amazed and perplexed. And this might be you today. You might be amazed and perplexed with the things of the Holy Spirit. They were saying to one another, what could this be? And that might be you today with this whole idea of the things of the Spirit of understanding that God can give us a, a language that is of a heavenly language, that God can heal the sick and God can, can, can do miracles. God can give us prophetic words and God can give us discernment and God can give us, shows the secrets of, of, of a person's heart and we can, God can use us to minister and to encourage and lift up. You might think, I, I, that, I don't know. That amazes me and I'm perplexed about that. And that's totally okay. My heart is for you to just take another step closer to understanding the things of God. Because God always has more for us. Amen. He always has something more for us. And so I just want us to be able, as a congregation, no matter where you are in this idea of Holy Spirit, is for us to take just a step closer and allow the Word of God to define what journey we're going to be on. So I want to tell you as simply as I can today what this means. And so I want to talk to you about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It gives us power in three ways. And the Holy Spirit, number one, gives you power or the power to live a righteous life. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to live a righteous life. Now remember the Pente- Pentecost, what they were to be remembering was all about the law being given on that day. The, the law being given, the Ten Commandments being written on stones. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but that didn't work very well. I don't know if you know this or not, but after all the laws that were given, um, they still fell short. They fell short from, from fulfilling or living perfectly. Excuse me. So they still came up short. It's very. Scripture says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. Why? So the question. Well, why would God give a law that people couldn't adhere to and couldn't follow? Well, Paul says this in Romans three twenty. He says this: through the law we become or became conscience conscious of our sin. In other words, we become aware of our sin. In other words, it's the standard is here, and all of a sudden we realize, I'm not, I'm falling, I'm failing. Anyone here ever sinned? Just raise your hand real quick. Okay, good, good. Rest of you are liars who didn't raise your hand. (laughs) Yeah, I'll do it, yeah. Uh, The reality is this. The law was given, again, was pointing all of humanity, pointing the children of Israel to this thing that you can't do it on your own. You you need a Savior. You need a Messiah that's been prophesied. You need someone who's gonna take upon you the punishment that you deserve, will be upon this Messiah. The punishment of what? The punishment that you came up short, that you couldn't fulfill all the laws. And according to Scripture, if you break one law, you were guilty of what? Breaking all the laws. So why did God give the law? Yes, he gave for parameters. Yes, he gave to to show them that he is a holy God. But according to Romans 3.20, he gave them the law so that they could be aware of their own sin. It reveals that we just don't measure up. So instead of, though, on this day, instead of an external law written on a stone, God said, I'm going to write my, my, my law and my goodness and my instructions on your heart. I'm going to take out the old heart of stone. I'm going to put in you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put in you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit writes God's law on our hearts, this is what happens. You begin to lose the taste for sin. You begin to lose the, the, the cravings for sin, not that you won't be tempted, but as you take steps closer to God, you begin to live out, wait a minute, the life that God has for me is so much better than this nasty life of the world that's available to me. And that's why many of us, we said, man, this Christianity is wearing me out. We're trying to live by the law. You're trying to measure up. You're trying to perform. You're trying to, and here's the reality. You're always going to come up short if you think it's within your own power to please God. You're never going to do it. But that's why God sent his son as the Passover lamb. That through his sacrifice and your belief in that sacrifice, that his blood covers you, removes you, you are a new creation. And when God looks at you, he sees you. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ on and over your life. That's why scripture says you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That when God looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus. He doesn't see your faults as who you are. That's beautiful. And so as you begin to walk your journey... With Jesus and begin to acknowledge there's a third person of the Trinity of the Holy Spirit that lives in you, that dwells in you. He begins to shape you. He begins to to alter your heart. I know people that have come to the Lord and, and there have been some things in their life they lost the desire and craving for immediately. Immediately, they no longer desire. I I know some who it didn't leave right away, but they began, they continued to walk with God and their hearts began to be shaped. So it it went from, I I have to, I have to do this to actually, I want to do this. It went from like, I have to stop to actually, I want to serve Jesus Christ. It went from, "I've, I've got to, to actually, I get to live my life to the glory of God. It's a posture change of the heart, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he wrote his word on their hearts, his law on their hearts. And the whole idea is when you get saved and get filled with the Spirit, you get a new, new motivation for living. No longer do you want the things of the flesh, but you want And desire the things of the Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean you won't be tempted. It doesn't mean you won't have struggles. But it means that inside of you is the Spirit to overcome sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. Now, what what it means to be a slave is you've got no choice. After you are a follower of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in you, you've got a choice now. You are no longer a slave to sin. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to say no to your flesh, to say no to sin, to say no to temptation, and to live an overcoming, powerful, righteous life. That's what the Holy Spirit has come to do. Number two, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to live supernaturally. Supernaturally meaning not natural, supernatural. And God never intended His children to live a life and operate by just what we can see with our own eyes, touch with our own hands, think with, with our own minds. That is not the life that God gives, leads us to live. There is so much more for us. We, we serve a God who can save, who can deliver, who can do miracles, who can heal our bodies, who can save the lost, and who can deliver us from evil. Amen? That's supernatural. That's the God that we serve. And I know there's not one person in this room that, that says, you know, I'm okay. I just want to serve a powerless God. That's no problem. Nobody w- w- wants to do that. We want to serve a powerful God. And in Jesus Christ, we have access to the power that has flown through Jesus' veins and blood to us. And so many people have turned off the Holy Spirit's power because of how it's packaged. I've had to wrestle through some things in my own life. I mean, that, I, I won't go into all the stories, but I mean, I, I've, I've experienced some crazy things in church that were, that were man-made things. They weren't things of the Spirit. And so most people get turned off right away. Ooh, ah, I'm not going to do that. People are bucking and jerking and what, what oh, that's the Holy Spirit? No, thank you. And, and I understand, and I understand because you just think, what in the world? Because you can't really find it in Scripture and you're having a hard time navigating that. I understand that. But many times, th- here's, here's the two extremes. One, we say then that must mean you, you can experience the Holy Spirit unless you buck and jerk. Or the other one is I don't want anything to do with that. And so therefore, that must not be, there must not be a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives today because I don't want that. So there's these two extremes. I think God wants to bring us back to, this, to the middle ground where it's actually just healthy and there's just the experiences. And, and listen, I believe you can experience God. If we serve a God you can't experience, then I, I, I think that's very difficult. I think the, the greater issue is if we serve a God and we're not experiencing something, I think there's probably a greater issue there. God wants us to experience him. He wants us to understand his power. He wants us to, wants to use us supernaturally. He wants to use our words when we speak them, they, they touch the hearts of people. Or when we walk into a room that people just think the atmosphere changes. He wants us to pray for the sick and for God to heal them if it be his will for them to be healed. He he wants us to be able to walk into a dark and evil place. And, and as we walk in there, demonic powers are, are subject to the power that dwells in us. He wants us to take authority over lands. He he wants us to take authority over, over strongholds that are in the world. That's what he wants us to do. That's why we're called to be a light in a dark and broken world. That's why we're called to be a light on a hill. That's what we're called to do. So that's going to take power. It's going to take supernatural power. And that's what we have to understand. And the Holy Spirit was given to us so we can walk in that, not in our own strength to make us special, but in his strength to make his name known on the earth. So God wants us to grow in the supernatural life. And the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us. And after the Holy Spirit was poured out and some people had some issues and concerns with it, as they do today, again, I understand. Peter stands up and he says, listen, guys, I know it looks strange. And then he reminds them of what the prophet Joel had said in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. And Peter standing up with the eleven, he raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only third hour of the day. <laughs> but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he, he reminds them what the prophet Joel said. And it came to pass in the last days. In other words, in the last days, after Jesus ascended to heaven, that began the last day's time clock. It's ticking away. It's ticking. So in the last days, in other words, Jesus has ascended. In the last days... Says God that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I want you to also see what's happening here. Is God in His Word is doing away with with only men being able to be used of God. Look, look at this. Your sons and your what daughters shall prophesy. So that's kind of a big deal. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. On my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. And then he goes into some of the natural things, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. The reason why this is great and awesome, speaking of the second coming, is because for believers, it's going to be great and it's going to be awesome. For unbelievers, it's going to be a very difficult day. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is, this, is the, this is the reality. So he stands and he says, guys, listen, this is what has been promised. That we're stepping into a new season of what God was saying all along. From, from the, the, the Feast of Pentecost, now we are tasting the reality of what this is pointing to. And this whole idea that God is wanting to do wonders, he's wanting to do new things in our lives, he's wanting to do miracles, and and we serve a God that that wants to do things that does not fit in our own minds. It's different. And he wants to enable you to live a supernatural life. And we need this more today than I believe we've ever needed it in history. I'm I'm not talking about drawing attention to yourself, By how you act, I'm talking about drawing attention to Jesus Christ through what He allows you to do. And so the reality is this, is that the Word of God is to be confirmed by signs and wonders. The reality is this whole idea that when the Word of God is preached or proclaimed, there should be a sense of awe. There should be a sense of wonder. There should be a sense of the holiness and the power and the goodness of God. We should feel it in the atmosphere. Paul said this as he was talking to the church in Corinthians. He said, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words out of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So I think Paul is talking about you have religion. That's just about words. But Paul says, no, no, a life with Jesus Christ is both with word and power. It's with word and power. There, there should be a sense of word and power. We should see this. There should be some confirmation of people's, people getting saved. There should be some confirmation of, of people being healed. Now, I, I don't know why some people healed, some people are not. I'm not going to stand up here and, and tell you, it's, uh, do I believe it's God's will for every person to be healed on the planet? I don't. I know it's a controversial thing to say, um, but when I read, I read Paul, and as you read, Paul had a thorn in his flesh. At the end of Corinthians, Paul writes, he says, did you notice I'm writing you with such large words? Why? Because he struggled with his eyes. But, all, what, but do I believe God heals? Absolutely I do. But do I believe that this world is our home? No, I do not. Do I believe that once we leave this world, we will be fully healed, completely restored, and have no pain, no sorrow? Yes, I do. But what I know is that some of you here have great needs. And you don't, you don't, what you need is your church can't give you. No man could give you. No clever words can give you. You need the power of God to rescue you in your situation. That's what you need. My heart and my desire is that your faith will be elevated to begin to pray for the supernatural in your life. You don't need something clever. You don't need me telling you a great joke. You need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to be demonstrated in your life. Through the word of God, through the body of Christ, through the fellowship of believers, through the prayers of, your, of, of, of each other. That's why we believe in small groups. I believe in small groups. I'm going all in on small groups. Because you need relationships. God didn't create you to live this life alone. When you need someone to pray for you, who's going to pray for you? You need people around you. You need to walk through life together. The third thing is what the Holy Spirit gives us is number three. He gives you the power to fulfill the mission of God. Listen to what Jesus says in Acts 1:8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my what? witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria unto the ends of the earth. This this whole the reality is this is that the Holy Spirit has empowered you so you can engage in God's mission for your life. We all have a mission. Every one of you was born with a purpose. God's fingerprint is on your life. He wants you to accomplish something. He wants you to live for him. He wants you to be a light for him. God has saved you to make a difference with your life. He saved you. He called you. He's given you the power to live out the mission of God. and What that looks like is different for everybody. That's why I believe in the church, the local church, because together we are, we are working out a mission that is so much greater than us, so much greater than us, that I cannot do on my, on my own, but together with you, we are doing stuff that the disciples never dreamt could be done. We're seeing it. We're seeing the gospel go around the world. We're seeing Bible colleges being planted. We're seeing pastors just being generated and, and, and sent out. To the world, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing it happening. We're seeing orphans who are coming. Why? Not because one person decided to do it. Because we, as a church, decided to be faithful to the local church. He's called us to be a part of. That's why giving really it really matters. It's not about turning the lights on. It's about fulfilling the mission of God through the local church. That's what it's about. It's not that anyone says, boy, isn't that church great? No, 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 no. Our mission is to say, no, isn't Jesus good? Isn't Jesus great? Look what he's done through us. That's why, that's why all of this matters. And he doesn't empower us for, for our own personal entertainment. He doesn't empower me so I can have a $6 million jet. Uh-oh, I move on. He doesn't empower me. He empowers me to bring glory and honor to His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what He does. He empowers us because we need to bring a message of Jesus Christ to a dying, to a confused, to a messed up, to a broken world, to reach the lost and to have a church where we are friends to sinners and we give hope to the lost and we disciple believers and we transform the world. Amen? And my desire for all of us is that we would allow the Holy Spirit to manifest through us in a fresh new way. And I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. And I believe they are to be activated in us. But I do not believe there are spiritual elite people and spiritual non-elite. I don't think there's an A team and a B team in the kingdom of God. I think we're all on the same team moving forward for the same purpose so that we can be witnesses. And my heart beats for the lost. My heart beats for those in our community that don't know Jesus. Because one day they're going to stand before God, and without Christ, they're going to hell. There is no other way of putting it. And God put us as a church here to reach the lost, here. He didn't put us here so that we can have a country club church. He put us here so we could be people on mission with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. When we come into church, yeah, everything we do is a two-pronged approach here at the church. It has to do with our reaching the lost and making disciples. Even our Sunday morning service, does it, re- does it help reach the lost? Does it help make disciples? It's a two-pronged approach. And our desire of why, why do we do Sunday service? So we can reach the lost and we can make disciples. And so the point is to stay there in the middle that we are making disciples and, and offering programs that can do that. And also we're reaching the lost. Because this is what the Great Commission is about. Going to all the world, preach the gospel to all living creatures. And make disciples. It's those two things. That's why we exist. It's actually, it's actually my friends, that simple. It's that simple. And so my desire is that the Holy Spirit would flow in all of us, in our own personal lives, that we could operate and function fresh and new. And we could see God bring the lost to this building and to our neighborhoods. And our small groups could grow. And we could be, a, be about making a difference right here in Arvada. The way the disciples. Listen, the disciples turned the world upside stinking down. In Jerusalem, 20 years after the day of Pentecost, half, half of Jerusalem were followers of Jesus. Around 120,000 believers were in Jerusalem. That's why when the religious leaders referred to the disciples, actually they said, oh, those are the ones who have turned the world upside down. I my prayer is that people go, Faith Bible Chapel? Oh, gosh. Those are the ones who are turning the world upside down. They're, they're the problem. And that's my desire. And that's my heart. I'm going to read to you Acts chapter 2. And this is, this is what I really believe the Holy Spirit is about. After Peter preached the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit, remember, he had, he had Denied even knowing Jesus a few days before, actually about a month, a month or so before. Denied even knowing Jesus to a little girl standing around a fire as Jesus was being tried. But then after the day of Pentecost, he stood up and he preached the gospel. It says, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, so that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's what we want. God wants a fresh touch of His Spirit on all of our lives. And God wants to do something fresh and new in you. You might be thinking today, you know, Jason, I, I do. I, I have this longing to know more of God. I have this longing to press in further with God. want you to hear me, I promise you, there's more of God to be had. There's more power available to you. There's, there's There's a greater revelation of your purpose and why God put you on this earth. You weren't put on this earth just to just to be a follower, of just, just to be a, a, I'm just a Christian. No, no, he called you, he believes in you, he calls you by name so that you can make a difference with your life. And so my desire is that you would leave here today knowing that God wants to do something through me that's not about me, it's about him. If, if, you, if you are measuring what God wants to do through you and it comes to the end, wraps around something to do with your preferences or what you want, you were thinking down the wrong wavelength. Ask God to do something with you that has something to do with somebody else. Ask God to do something with you when it has to do with a lost teenage generation. Ask God to do something with you that can, that can help reach children in our children's group. Ask God to use his power and his spirit to flow through you so that maybe you could financially give to something that has nothing to do with you. It has something to do with reaching the lost and making disciples. Ask that God will use your words as you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That everything that He would flow through you has to do with somebody else being encountered by the presence of the living God. And thus, us taking on the nature of Christ, that He came not to be served, but to serve. That's my desire for you. That you leave here today with a fresh call of God. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.